Hey, welcome to the Harusa podcast. On today's episode, suit sweaters, fashion advice on an emerging trend, and an illuminating understanding of the concept of secrets and its connections to Purim. I'm Moshe Shomron. Thank you for joining me in this exploration of timeless wisdom and ideas that have guided some of history's greatest men and women for over 3,000 years. Before we jump into Purim, there's an article in today's Wall Street Journal titled The New Work Firm Home Uniform, a business suit that is pajamas too. Essentially, people realized that there was a style clash with the Zoom. As they're at home, they want to feel comfortable for, for Zoom, they have to look good. So what this business started doing is being documented in the article is sewing on top of a sweatshirt, sewing the top half of a formal suit. So that way you have just enough formality to fit within the video frame of the little zoom box, but you're still comfortable because you're wearing your sweatshirt and your sweatshops. Um, and starts at ninety five dollars, <laughs> and it keeps going up. And there's different styles, etc. Uh, so just from a stylistic point, we're gonna have to uh, pass verdict on this. That this is this is just it's just laziness. Meaning, you need it. Well, there's a fascination with having two in one, three in one, four in one to like do a whole bunch of things in one thing. Why can't you have your sweatshirt, your sweatpants, and then a jacket? You just put on your jacket for the zoom, and then you take it off. Like, why does it have to be two in one? Like the shampoos are now like seven in one. I don't know, what seven things is the shampoo doing? Okay, so I get it. The shampoo and the conditioner are two in one. It makes sense. You don't have to do it twice. I guess you're saying that that's the same thing here. Just the sweatshirt and the jacket, like a shampoo and conditioner. No, because the <laughs> sweatshirt and it. That those naturally go together. It would be sort of like the, the Israeli sales. I don't know if you've ever been to Makolet, one of these Israeli stores. They always have these awesome sales. It's like, great sale. Buy five boxes of cereals, get a free broom. <laughs> it's like these combinations. Um, <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah, all the, all the sales. They have these 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 great combos. You know, buy an energy drink and get a lottery ticket or something. So I think that that's what this classifies under. Not It's not the shampoo and, and conditioner, because that makes sense. This is like buy the broom and get a bag of chips. Get a separate jacket. Wear your jacket for the Zoom. Put it on a hook or on a chair that's nearby where you usually use your Zoom. And then if you need to put on the jacket, you just put on the jacket. We spoke yesterday in the podcast about drinking on Purim and how, based on studies reported, cited in numerous places, but as we, we are quoting from Gladwell's Talking to Strangers, that alcohol is not an agent of revelation, but rather an agent of transformation. It doesn't reveal what's in you, but it's an opportunity to transform dependent on the context. Now, most usage, if you study and document most people who have 
imbibed copious amounts of alcohol, the likelihood is, is that it was an agent of transformation away or, or toward a more base instinct as opposed to a, a more idealistic uh, mode. What on perm, well, what the goal is, is to hit that, that transformation point that sometimes we bog ourselves down with self-perceptions and doubts and anxieties and, and, oh, I'm this, I'm lazy, I'm not good, I can't do that. I, and alcohol is that perm, the whole perm experience. The alcohol is a vehicle to reach that perm point that you touch your inner essence and say, I am that person, that person that I've really know that deep down I could hit, but I have all these hangups that are stopping me, my obstacles in the way, the challenges, the, the thoughts in the back of my head, perms that time to really define who I am at my core. And there was some pushback on this idea in the episode because they said, well, what do you mean? Well, alcohol is always a revelation. I always understood it that way. And yet this was for a very long time now. Alcohol is always understood that it lowers your inhibitions. But based on these studies of, you know, the people in Bolivia that were drinking all the time that weren't, I mean, different drunks manifest in different ways. And there's a reason for that it's because alcohol is myopic. It allows you to just focus and zero in on the moment. And we quoted a, a piece of Talmud. The Talmud says, the Torah says, When wine enters a person, Yatsa Sod. Sod comes out. Sod. Secrets come out. And they, they, there's actually a really cool uh, feature here called Gematria, which is one of the hidden messages in, in Torah. Torah has four different levels. One of them is the hidden level. And one of the things is that the letters, every letter has a numerical value based on its stance in the alphabet and on its position. So Aleph is one, Beth is two, Gimel is three. And Yayin, Yud, Yud, Nun, Yud is the 10th letter, two Yuds, that's 20. Nun is 50. Once it hits 10, it goes Yud, Chaf, Lamed, Mem, Nun. All right, so Yud is 10, then it goes to 20, 30, 40, 50, 90, 100, etc. It goes by whole numbers. And so 70 and secret in Hebrew, Samach is 60, Vav is the sixth letter, Dalas is the fourth, 70. So wine comes out, secret comes in. So the question was, pushback, well, doesn't this lead towards the understanding of yayin, of wine being an agent of revelation, that it reveals your secret? And the response is that no, that's just the opposite. I think it uh, goes the other way. Because if that was the case, it's just, it, it could have just said, ha'adam, the person comes out. Yata ms the secret, the vino veritas, in, in the, the Latin expression of this revelation. In, in, in wine, there's truth, right? It should be mishnichnas yayin yata ms, yata ha'adam. The person comes out, the truth comes out. Which is true, because when you have the myopic stance, you don't think of that long-term distance. But instead it says secret, mishnichnas yayin yata so a secret comes out. What does that mean? What's a secret? What's a secret? Loyal fans of the Harusa will hearken back to the episode Secret Life. Where we talked about this idea that a secret is not something that 
just that you don't understand, right? If you see a menu in Mandarin, you don't understand it. It's not a secret menu. It's not a secret. When there's quantum physics, it's not a secret. I might not be able to, to understand it based on my current set of knowledge. But it doesn't mean it's a, it's, it's a secret. Now, so, so what is the definition of a secret? You search in the, the Kindle store, you search secret, you'll have over 80,000 books pop up, right? And the secret to this, the secret to that. Everybody wants to know the secret. Um, <laughs> so obviously they're not all secret. All you got to do is pay up and you'll find out the, the secrets. So what's a real secret? So in Hebrew, sod, word for secret, sod is always identified with Kabbalah. Kabbalah. Now, again, Kabbalah is not just that it's hard to understand, which it is, and it's complicated, and it's deep, and it's complex. It's sort of like quantum physics. That doesn't make it a secret. So then what is it? In the Torah's definition of a secret, it's something that, while it may not be hidden, but it can't be shared because it's unique to a person's personal sensibilities, a person's personal experience. And so, Dr. Epstein back in, Dr. Benji Epstein, who's a psychologist, author of an incredible book, Living in the Presence, that was a feature in many of the Harusa podcast episodes back when we were using that as our exceptional text for contemporary ideas and Torah discussions. He points out that in therapy, worst thing to say if you're a therapist or if you're not a therapist and you're a friend and your friend is sharing something that they're going through, the worst thing to say is, I understand. I understand what you're going through. And it's so hard. Understand? No, no, no. You don't understand. You don't understand. You could empathize. You could empathize. But you'll never truly understand what that person's going through. Now, you might be able to, if you're a therapist, categorize based on vast experience but to truly understand it, even even if you had a similar experience, but each person goes through it in a unique way with their own feelings. So that's a secret, something that you can't understand. You can't understand because it's so deeply personal to that person. And the other analogies would be explaining color to somebody that has never seen color. Unfortunately, they don't have the gift of sight or taste to somebody that never tasted ice cream. You try to Explain it. Explain chocolate. Symphonies to somebody who's deaf. All right, these are things that are beyond any words that could be communicated. Feelings of love, of relationship. Love. No matter what you say and how you describe it, you'll inevitably come up short. Because while it's definitely, it's real, it can be deeply felt, but... No, no description will suffice it, suffice for it, right? That remains on the level of secret, of sowed. It's something so inner, internal, and, and and this 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 idea, a life of secret of sowed, is not reserved specifically for Kabbalah, for Kabbalistic pursuits on deep mystical levels, but it's everything in life. So think about a parent, so a parenting expert. Okay, imagine a parenting expert or more more common see this a lot now on social media. You know, somebody who comes in and, and is a life coach or a uh, 
uh, entrepreneur or guru that will tell you how to think, right? And the person never actually started a business. <laughs> the person never actually did anything with their life. The person never actually is a parent. But they've studied it. They've studied business. They've studied parenting. And now they put out a course on parenting. So, yeah, you could be an expert and know all the theories and, and be able to categorize and understand different things. But you don't know what it is to be a parent <laughs> until you're a parent yourself. So you could have listened to every love song and watched every romantic comedy and every uh, post about love that there is there. But that's never going to compare to when, when somebody actually feels it. When you have a child, for example. It's inex in inexplainable. Unexplainable. That's a, so, that's a secret. It's something so deep. It's something that can't be taught because it's, it's how your soul grasps it. It's not a body of knowledge, something that's separate and discreet from your own identity, where there's you and then whatever concept you're discussing, right? I'm me and I'm learning this abstract thing. I'm going to try to internalize it. That's not a sode. A sode is when it is part of you. The, the subject is subsumed in you. You're not writing about it, about love, about parenting, about a moment, but you're in it. You're in it. So take it in a religious sphere. Right, somebody could teach about Hashem, could talk about Hashem, could talk about Purim, give countless speeches about it, and and still have never actually tasted it and felt it. Right, it could be something abstract about you're talking about, and that that's really what the goal is. And I mentioned back in the Secret Life episode, like for me, yeah, I'm very good. I could talk about it on the podcast, but how about finally stop talking about it and talk to it, feel it. I feel the experience instead of talking about uh, Purim. Right, it comes to Purim and you talk about it. We used the analogy of the wedding in the first episode on, on Purim this week. Right, you can talk about a wedding or what a wedding is. You got to go. You got to feel it. You got to experience it. And the same is true with Purim. And really in every area of our lives, if in every area of our lives, if you can imagine for a minute, a day, sample day tomorrow in your life, that you go through it not something separate from you not your interactions with your family with your friends your teachers the subjects you're learning that it's not something outside of you but that you're totally zoned in you're totally in it you're feeling it you're experiencing it viscerally when you're hugging your child in the morning you're feeling it you're in there that's it that's all there is that's so that's living on a level that's inexplainable it's unexplainable when a person feels connected to to something and, and of course the more powerful thing that you're connecting with the more deeper and inex inexplicable is it going to be so a novel is great but then when you're connecting to a child whoa when you're connecting to yourself in a real way connecting with Hashem uh, th that's going to be a whole new level that's per when the wine comes in and the myopia hits, the myopia hits and you're settled in the moment and the so the, the things that you can't express in words when you're rationally thinking, when you're in, in an intellectual zone and you're thinking about the word and philosophy, the world and philosophizing and contemplating and analyzing. When, when the wine comes in, the so is there, the things that 
exist on such a deeper level than, than the world of words and sounds. But it's that internal who you are at your very core. Enough of the doubts and the thoughts and the plans and the dreams and the ideas. You right now. And the, the greatness is, based on these recent studies of myopia and Gladwell Heath, is that you can transform by reaching that point, by reaching that inner who you are, to touch that, to find that, to dance with it, to grow with it. That's so. That's so. In the episode Scattered and Separate, Perm talking about uh, the, the deepest of connections that Perm is tied to with community and the true sense of, of community. A community not just similar people in the same room, but having a shared empathy and care for one another. And I mentioned a mindfulness or meditation type idea that one could do on Perm. And I was asked to uh, elaborate on that. So... I first had seen it um, in a typed up interview, a transcript of an interview between Chade Ming Tan, Chade Ming, who is a Google pioneer, an award-winning engineer and a best-selling author, and created a mindfulness-based emotional intelligence course for employees um, that had a uh, regular wait list of six months to get in. It's a book called Joy on Demand. Very practical meditation book. And conversation with Tim Ferriss, a popular podcaster. Um, and he, he says this, um, this idea, this loving kindness meditation, it's very simple. It's 10 seconds. It's a 10 second exercise. Identify two people and just think, I wish for this person to be happy and I wish for this person to be happy. Don't do anything. Don't say anything. Just think. It's a purely thinking exercise and it's 10 seconds. You'll emerge happier than 10 seconds before. It's the joy of chesed, the joy of kindness, of empathy, of, of caring about somebody else. Being on the giving end of a kind thought is rewarding in of itself. And and you can do this. Increase your happiness. Just randomly wish for people uh, to be happy. And he said he was talking to somebody once who was going through a just a dry stretch. And he just felt stretched. He said, do this tomorrow. Every hour at work. I say nine to five. Once an hour. Do this ten second thing. Randomly identify two people walking past and wish for them to be happy. Right? And after 10 seconds, go back to work and then do it, repeat it every hour. And he came back and he said, I hate my job. And I hate coming to work every single day, but I followed your idea. And it was my happiest day in seven years. That's what Chade Ming says. Pretty cool. Just 10 seconds of wishing good for, for your friend. So... You know, randomly during school hours, working hours, you're driving, you're stuck in traffic, and you're listening to the Chavrusa podcast. And then just like look around at two people, because of course that's what you're doing in the car. <laughs> what else would you be 
doing or at school and you see um people ran you in the car and just randomly wish for people to be happy karen especially if it's not just random people if it's people you really are connected with families friends etc and you could do it wherever you are you don't even have to be in the presence of other people you can just think of any people just do it in a in a real way to sit close your eyes think turn off the noise the 10 seconds that the benefit of that meditation and it could be uh it doesn't have to be just 10 seconds it could be a minute just really thinking um and then give it another minute just to rest the mind pretty cool and when you could add this to the regimen of perm of sending a gift to a friend of somebody that you care about and Helping out somebody who's impoverished. Impoverished? Somebody in need. Right? Matanas Lavena, the two mitzvot on perm. On top of the being happy and parting and reading the Megillah, the story of perm is to give gifts to your friends and to poor people. Just creating that sense of identity and identification, empathizing with your struggle, what you're going through to also have this. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Harusa. If you enjoyed, before you even subscribe and rate it five stars and review and all that, and listen to the other episodes, please reach out to me. Let me know your thoughts, connections, ideas, questions, critiques. My number is 347-893-4467. Podcast at gmail.com or across social media channels. Thank you. Have a wonderful day overflowing with happiness.